0: Our scripture passages this morning come from Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 3. Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs 3:13 to 15, "Blessed is the one who finds wisdom the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Let me pray as we uh, look at God's word together this morning. Father, we do ask that you would be with us um, that you would open up uh, your scriptures, that we could see the one who is wisdom himself, um, that we would see our, uh, our wisdom uh, as foolishness, that we would not be wise in our own eyes, um, but we would submit ourselves under the, uh, the truth and the knowledge and the wisdom of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I I don't have to tell you that over the past year, year and a half, uh, our decision-making the course of our lives have fundamentally changed. Uh, We've been thrown into personal decision-making about our individual and our communal health, even as we're witnessing that this morning. Um, Parents have had to uh, make decisions about educational formats, school enrollment, child care, how and when and where we're going to work. Um, We've all been given uh, new options about living situations, work locations, work from home, work in the office. Uh, We have decided our social bubbles. Um, We have tried to plan out and be wise about when and where and how often we do something as simple as make a grocery run. Um, Every life decision, big or small, seems like it's been thrown at us this last year and a half. And while there have been plenty, plenty of limits, we have these decisions in front of us because we have some degree of personal freedom. And freedom can be liberating, but I think that we've learned over this last year and a half that freedom comes with its own set of burdens. We often face a paralysis of choice People say, but this last year, we've kind of uh, fallen into this paralysis of uncertainty, of not knowing what's in front of us, but yet forced to make a decision. Not to mention that nearly every decision and event that we've had to consider has felt like it's had some kind of moral or ethical angle attached to it. It's made it all the more difficult and murky. And I think if we reflect back, I would uh, hazard to guess that many of us feel like we haven't been given all of the tools necessary to successfully live a full life. Uh, Many of us have been in school for uh, at least 16 years, some in this room for twice that long. You could probably tell me how to find the hypotenuse of a triangle, but you might struggle significantly to know how to navigate a difficult Uh, relationship. I would guess many of you could tell me something about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, but you don't really know how to resolve your conflict with your roommate. So how do we learn how to make good decisions? How do you learn or know which job to take or which church to join or where to live or how to live? How does our pastoral search committee know the right next pastor to hire? How does our children's ministry know when it's safe to gather children and volunteers again? Where in the Bible do we go to answer these questions? The book of Proverbs comes to us and says that you and I need wisdom to navigate the answers to these hard questions. I think the the big problem that we have often in the church is that we don't actually know how the Bible applies to practical questions that we have in life. Much of the Bible appears to be black and white. We have the Ten Commandments, we have God's law, but we live our lives in the gray. And wisdom is applying the truth and the knowledge of God's Scripture to the gray areas of life. It's really down into the details, into the nitty gritty. And so, what I want you to feel this morning is the essential nature of you and I pursuing biblical wisdom. That, it, that it's actually something that we attain after, that we go and move towards. I read from Proverbs 3 Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than silver, and a profit better than gold. My prayer this morning is that you and I would believe that wisdom from the Lord is better than anything else that we could pursue, any other endeavor or accomplishment uh, or pursuit that we have, that, that we would be called into a daily, ruthless pursuit of wisdom, That this isn't some kind of uh, passive invitation, but it is part of the Christian life. It's something that we are to put on and to move towards. So this morning, I want to briefly explore two questions. If if you're a note taker, we'll be looking at what wisdom is. What is wisdom? And second, how do we develop wisdom? How do you get it? So first, uh, just sort of by working out our definitions, what is wisdom? Wisdom. What is this thing that Solomon says is so valuable that we are to pursue it daily and ruthlessly in the Christian life? Proverbs 1, 1 to 3 says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and Solomon, King Solomon is telling you why he wrote this book, and he says that he wants you to know wisdom. And the entirety of the book is unfolding, unpacking what that idea is. And this word wisdom uh, is a Hebrew word that means skill. It's the same word that's used uh, in uh, various places through the Old Testament. It's, It's the word that is used to describe the garment makers who skillfully work to prepare Aaron's robe. So maybe you've been uh, to uh, museums, whether it's here in Boston or somewhere around the world, where you've seen old garments that kings and priests would wear. And this word wisdom has this skillful angle attached to it that wants to bring, to bring to mind a garment that is put together with such thought and such beauty and such excellence uh, that it is done to a, a degree of near perfection. This word skill is also used in the Old Testament to uh, describe those who built the tabernacle and the temple. If you've ever been uh, to Israel and you've seen uh, the ruins uh, that that uh, that God's people have put together, you know the skill and the precision of work that went into developing such a beautiful uh, building and piece of art. And so the, the ability to work with precision and skill is something that is to be admired and valued and developed. That is what we are to have in mind in the Christian life. This, this pursuit of wisdom is a pursuit of uh, skillful, godly living. The wisdom of the Proverbs uh, is not primarily academic Or intellectual, but it is relational and moral. It is concerned with your soul and how you relate to God and to other people. And so when we study uh, any Proverbs, it teaches us how to live skillfully in every area of life, including family and finances and friendship and speech and work and on and on and on. I would commend uh, in your own uh, private devotional life uh, to spend time in the Proverbs, I think you'll find it rich and a blessing to you. The goal of wisdom is that you might find a life of beauty so that at the end of your life, you might accomplish something worthwhile and lasting. If you feel uh, the the hopelessness, and, and the toil in your work. Wisdom, uh, the pursuit of wisdom is an invitation into a life of true meaning that has lasting value. And so Solomon says uh, in verse 2 that we are to know wisdom. You and I were not born wise. You do not simply become wise by growing older. But the source of wisdom is God Himself, and wisdom is gained through the spiritual disciplines. And so, this is a push into knowing the Word of God, into being so invested and so engaged and so enraptured by God's Word that you know wisdom Himself. You don't know wisdom or cultivate wisdom or develop it simply by living and by growing older, it's something that has to be pursued. And so as you apply wisdom, the wisdom of Scripture to your life, verse 3 says uh, that that you receive instruction in wise living, that you uh, will grow in learning how to live in real-life situations instead of always stumbling through and wondering if you've made the right decision. Wisdom is an invitation into the certainty of godly living. The end of verse 3 in chapter 1 gives us categories for the wise life. He wants, to have, he wants us to have skills in righteousness and justice and equity. Righteousness here is conforming to God's word. That word righteousness is also connected uh, to Deuteronomy 25.13, uh, where, uh, where there is a warning against uh, carrying two uh, uh, rocks that you would weigh to find out what is equal, one that is a size that you said that it is, and the other that is a little bit lighter so you can cheat your neighbor. Uh, and this, this idea of righteousness is, uh, is it, both an internal and an external conformity to God's law that your life, the way that you pray, the way that you think, the way that you talk, the way that you interact, that you live, is in conformity with God's Word. And justice and equity can only be truly exercised by one who is righteous in making fair decisions. So if you're one who, uh, who cares to fight for justice and equity in the world, you can only do that when you know the righteous standard, when you know the one who is righteous. And you can call the world uh, to be in order under uh, a God who, has, uh, who, who holds all things uh, in his power. And so Solomon here is asking God for skill at life. We might call this Christian maturity. Uh, Here's how a a handful of uh, Old Testament scholars define uh, wisdom for us. One says, uh, becoming competent with regards to the reality of life. Skillful art in godly living. Another says, wisdom allows us to cope with life and achieve what would otherwise be impossible. And so here's the thing, you can't avoid dealing with the decisions that you have in front of you. There are some things that you can only pass off for so long, and at some point reality and responsibility is at your doorstep, and the option that you have is to deal with it with skill and wisdom, or to deal with it poorly with what the Bible would call foolishness. And so Solomon, who, who again wrote most of the Proverbs, knew his need for wisdom. And in 1 Kings 3, he prayed for it this way. He said, God, give me a heart that can discern right from wrong. And I find that interesting because Solomon had the Scriptures already at his disposal. He had the Ten Commandments. He had the law of God. But he still had questions about what it meant to apply god's law to discerning right from wrong it's a prayer that you and i should take onto ourselves and pray that the lord would give to us we have practical questions if you are pursuing a relationship how do you know if you should go on the date with a person who just asked you out how do you know if it's time to uh, to take the next step towards engagement marriage? If you're a student, how do you know if you should go for another degree to take on more loans or just go out into the workforce? If you're married and you're you're struggling to, to know when is the right time to begin to try for children, how do you come to that conclusion? It's wisdom, It's it's taking the black and white of Scripture and applying it to the gray. It is praying that God would give you a heart to discern what is right from what is wrong. And what this does is it takes the Bible and it, it helps you see it as meaningful to every part of your life. Because every part of Scripture speaks to a situation in your life because all of the Bible is revealing something about the character of God who he is, and how he calls you to exist in the world. And to the extent that you read the Bible through that lens is the extent to which you will grow in wisdom. That the Bible is actually useful for applying to all situations in all of life, because all of the Bible is revealing something true about God and about you. One of uh, my favorite books that I've loved uh, for a long time is a book uh, called A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Menachin. and uh, it's uh, partly an autobiography, but it's also uh, a story of tragic loss and his coming to faith uh, through a letter-writing relationship that he had with C.S. Lewis. And uh, Sheldon, uh, midway through the book, uh, I think in chapter five, uh, recognizes uh, that he's become a Christian. And uh, he, he knows that he believes in the lordship of Jesus, that God has saved him from his sins. He kind of recognizes the basics of the doctrines of our faith. Uh, and then he kind of looks out and says, okay, but now how do I live? How do I actually engage with the world around me? And so he writes a letter to C.S. Lewis, and he says, well, now that I'm a Christian, does it mean that I should uh, change my my PhD research study from uh, from English literature that I'm studying now to something more theological? Is that what it means for me to to be a Christian? Uh, Does all of life have to be sort of theologically centered? And so he writes to Lewis about it. I think that it's a great example of just Christian community entering in and uh, beginning to apply some of the Bible uh, to one another. And so Lewis uh, writes Sheldon back, and he says this. He says, we must ask at least three questions about the probable effect of you changing your research subject to something more theological. And so he starts with the, the individual. He says, would it be better for your immediate enjoyment? Answer, probably, but not certainly, yes. Then he kind of looks out around uh, the immediate, uh, the immediate kind of vicinity. He said, "Would it be better for your academic career?" Answer: Probably no. You would have to make up a lot in, uh, you would have to make up a lot of knowledge in a very short amount of time, which would not be easily to digest. Third, he looks inward at his own soul and he says, "Would it be better for your soul and for your spiritual growth?" And to that, Louis says, "I don't know." At the end of the letter, he says, the performance of any ordinary duty will probably teach you quite as much about God as academic theology would do. Mind, I'm not certain, but this is what I'm inclined to do. Please write back with more questions. Lewis here is engaging him with a a practical question that he has about living the Christian life. I think this is a, a great example of what it looks like for a, a Christian to help another Christian know how to develop and grow in wisdom. And what we have to realize is it's an art. It's not a science. This is something that, that unfolds over time. Uh, wisdom, as we're considering kind of taking stabs at different definitions, wisdom is going with the grain of God's design for creation, our hearts are designed to love God and follow him. They are designed, created to love others, to repent and be forgiving, to be humble and sacrifice for the good of others. And living in the way that God himself has designed you is an aspect of, of, of wisdom. That's how we live successfully as mature Christians in the world. I think this, by the way, is why um, it's wrong to view the Bible as merely a set of rules that, that are to be followed. It's actually God's revelation of himself to you so that you would live in the way that you were designed and that life goes well for you. And I think that is wisdom. Living in biblical freedom is not the absence of restraints, but it is putting on the right godly restraints. That is what we are called to do from the scriptures. And so second, how do we develop wisdom? How do we pursue this as a daily habitual practice? Proverbs 3, uh, 13 to 15 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom here is represented as a woman to be pursued, and this imagery makes sense because the Proverbs were written and originally taught to young men, and uh, they were told that wisdom is so beautiful and so appealing and so desirable that they should want nothing more than to pursue her. That that it's like a young love, that that she is all you see. That she promises a relationship so full and so loving that no material comfort, no good, no achievement, nothing could compare to loving wisdom. That she is yours and you are hers. If you've read the, the Proverbs, you know, of course, there is another woman that, that is sort of a thread throughout that book. In Proverbs 6, she pops up for the first time, and her name is Folly. And she makes big promises and has, uh, uh, has big allure, but she never satisfies It isn't enough for the gospel to warn you to run away from foolishness. The fuller view of the gospel is that you are invited to run into the arms of wisdom. That the gospel actually offers you a better story. To live out the glory of the gospel, we have to see the beauty of living in the fullness of our creation. So how do you get wisdom? You pursue Jesus. You remember your first love. Proverbs is not a how-to book. Your journey towards wisdom begins, as Proverbs 1.7 says, with the fear of the Lord, with awe of who he is, of how he has created you to be, of what he's called you to do as part of this community. Wisdom is an attribute of God, yes, but wisdom is God himself. And wisdom is displayed in his works, And wisdom is given to us through his word. And so for those of us who are in Christ, pursuing wisdom, gaining wisdom, growing up in wisdom, means pursuing and remembering your first love. It means believing that Jesus is better than anything that can be offered to you. Um, If you were to go back and read 1 Kings 4, uh, it talks uh, about Solomon there and his wisdom. And, uh, and, and that passage has this long list of kings uh, that, that Solomon is greater than. And so Solomon is greater than this king in Persia and this king over here. And it goes on and on and on. And it says that, that men and women traveled from all over the world to ask Solomon the answer to questions that were unanswerable. And he was truly great, someone to be admired. But if you go to Luke 11, you know what it says? Someone greater than Solomon is here. And in Colossians 2, the apostle says, In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge, if you look at the life of Christ, if you study him, know his character, meditate on his word, you see his wisdom, that he is wisdom incarnate. You begin to see that he knew how to, act to navigate the difficult areas of life. He knew when to speak and when to be quiet, when to be aggressive and when to retreat, when to act and when to hold back, when to confront and when to step away. But the the answer here isn't just go away and try harder to be like Jesus. If you've ever tried to be perfect, to sin in nothing, you realize it is impossible. You realize that it will never work. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, to know is not to be wise. He said, many men know a great deal and are greater fools for it. There is no fool as great as a knowing fool. You grow in wisdom by clinging to wisdom himself. Not by being wise in your own eyes, but by clinging to Jesus, the one who gives you everything that you need. It means that we are called into a life of prayer. It means that we are to crack open our Bibles and find ourselves captivated by his word. It means that you and I believe that what we are offered in the gospel is better and more beautiful than anything that we find in the world. We are called into knowing the Lord who loves us and gives us himself who is wisdom. And once you realize that the person who is wisdom incarnate became the fool of the world for you. And I don't want you to miss that as some like second person plural y'all. Like for you. He became a fool in the world for you so that you could be with him. So that you could be saved. So you would sit with him in heaven when you realize Jesus gave up everything and through his spirit offers you all that you need, when you realize that the Lord of the universe is with you, that he guides you, that he's given you his word, that he's given you this church because he loves you, you are captivated by him. You find him beautiful. You pursue him. You actually want to do the things that he asks you to do. And as you actually pursue him, As you know him and his word, you start to change from the inside out. And as you change, you become more like Jesus, that you're actually transformed by his spirit to be made more in his image, to live more in his image. And in becoming more like Jesus, you grow in real wisdom. That's my prayer for us this morning. Let me pray as we go to the Lord's table. Father, we do ask that you uh, would uh, allow us to know you as the one who is the God only wise. That we would not uh, see ourselves as wise in our own eyes, but we would pursue you. We would see the beauty and the majesty and the glory in the person and work of Jesus. That we would remember our first love. And that you pursue us and that you bring us to yourself. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.